be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the National Association of Retired Counterterrorism Unit Employees. At NARCTU, we know it's a dangerous world. The dedicated men and women of the CTU stand ready to do whatever we need to do, go wherever we need to go, or torture whoever we need to torture in order to keep you safe. We're ready to protect the country now that our L.A. office has been cleared of nerve gas, and we're more confident than ever that we can keep secrets now that we've eliminated our affirmative action program for moles. Now, if you're looking to serve your country, consider CTU, home of the 24-hour shift. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the special crisis edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Um, we come to you today not too long after horrible events in Paris and just kind of knowing that um, the world outside of pop culture is going to be on high alert and dealing with uh, menacing threats and, and a very real sense of fear for quite some time. Uh, Mickey, how, how do we do a show <laughs> about everything that's fun in this world and life? Uh, when real life seems so not fun. Well, I, first of all, hi, and uh, so glad to be back. Uh, glad to have Dave back healthy as well. Um, and uh, listeners, thanks for coming back to join us. I think I think what you're hitting on here is interesting, but it, it really comes down to a point of the exposure that you allow yourself to have to some of these things. Um, you can choose to, and I know this is hard to say, but, you know, turn the TV off, turn off the radio, you know, go outside, play a video game. I mean, I think there are a lot of ways that people can distract themselves. Now, I mean, some people would suggest that, like, oh, everyone's too distracted already. Yeah, well, ignorance is bliss. Would well, let's you rather face be it. happy or would you rather be, like, you know, on point. On the the only real thing most of the 300 million of us in America can do is just sit and watch news all the time. And while CNN and Fox would love to have the eyeballs, it really doesn't help or change anything. Exactly. It, it doesn't do anything. And, you know, it certainly doesn't help your blood pressure in many cases. So I think it's important for for places like us. And, and, and to be honest, like, obviously, all the, the things that we talk about. I, I think are a great escape in, in situations like this and, and really throughout all of life. Like you really, un, unless it's your job, mm-hmm. it, it, you should not politicize all the things. Yeah, I would say this is, I would put in a category slightly different from politicization. That, that basically, you know, you had uh, sent me a tweet last Friday night saying, hey, are you okay? Are you watching this? And I had no idea what was going on. I was uh, working on something else right uh, Right before picking up the kids. And uh, then you could go onto Twitter and you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, you see one report of a shooting, then another report of a shooting, another report of an explosion. So we try to go through our normal Friday nights. And then as soon as the kids are in bed, we go out and we watch CNN for – Hours and hours and hours because you're like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen next? Um, I, I don't begrudge somebody for uh, becoming a news addict during a crisis. But the time comes, hopefully and thankfully, where you're like, OK, I've got to turn off CNN. I've got to turn off Fox News. I've got to you know, do something else. 
And I, I went back and I checked. It was a really kind of fascinating phenomenon. Uh, Mickey, would you like to know what the most rented movie was the weekend after the 9-11 attacks back in 2001? Mm, yes. Please tell me. I think I know this one, but yeah. I want you to tell me. It was The Siege, which was all about Muslim terrorists killing people in New York City, uh, starring Bruce Willis and uh, Denzel Washington and I believe Annette Bening. Uh, yes. Came out in the late 90s. And it was this cre- kind of creepy. We rented that. Yeah. Um, I know, did you did you rent it before or after nine eleven? After nine eleven, there you go. And so they, they, this is a everyone was. I remember everyone being like, and I did would not have been able to come up with the name, um, but I specifically remember people saying like, "You need to go rent this movie," and so we did. And it was like, I mean, in my opinion, yes, it, it was very much about terrorists attacking nine eleven, just different, you know, idea. I was going to say when you go when you're when in real life you're seeing something absolutely horrible. I, I guess you can react one of two ways, um, and I don't think you know either one of them is is a bad one or or an inappropriate one. One is to say, I need something completely different. I need something that has nothing to do with terrorism or or what's going on in the world. Give me My Little Pony or something like that. Roadhouse. Uh, and the next thing, sorry. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Oh, the good news, Ronda Rousey is still going to be playing that lead in that movie, even though she lost her title last weekend. I think that's I a movie career that that's a movie career that starts a whole lot quicker than we thought a, a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Again, did you see her face? I'm yeah, saying she's going to get out of the ring now that she knows she can be beat and move along with this other career that'll be so much more lucrative anyway. Oh, absolutely, and she should, by the way. Yep. I was. I guess probably if you are in one of those sports. Uh, once again, knowing my audience to say, once you become Dwayne Johnson, mm-hmm. once you become The Rock, once you become somebody who's become bigger you than the sport, you know your and, audience, you know, um, then as much as it's great, you know, every once in a while you'll see Dwayne Johnson go back into to a WWE event for a special event or something. He mm-hmm. he's aware of his roots and stuff, but um, you know, well, his dad was a wrestler too. Of, yeah. So, I mean, it's very much for them, you know, it's a family thing. It's it's a real business, obviously. And while you do know your audience, I never have a problem with, like, half-naked The Rock running around. (laughs) Ever. That's usually, like, my favorite part of whatever movie, show, whatever he's in. As long as I get to say which half, I'm okay with him being half-naked, too. (laughs) But, yeah, so in in a time of crisis, we either need utterly mindless stuff that has nothing to do with this or I kind of wonder whether we need something that shows us what's going on in real life, um, fictionalized, and some might argue glamorized. You know, but like uh, Twenty Four oh, was a big ending. hit. Yeah, uh, Twenty Four was a big hit after uh, Two Thousand One. Yep. American Soldier was the top film of last year. Zero Dark Thirty. You know, there there isn't a craving for this, and it may be that you know we see. But there's uh, a. I mean, there's a media phenomenon associated with this. Um, same thing happened during World War um, Two, and and even so much with Vietnam, and even the original um, Desert Storm, is that any time the country goes to war, war movies start coming out. Mm. And, I think and and war, you know, like what I mean, like kind of not just war movies, but more kind of war related things. Um, it's it's just always. Because they, because again, life imitating art, art imitating life, etc. What I th- remember about the siege was thinking that um, one, obviously, you know, you get the happy ending, which made you feel good. I remember going to see one of the worst movies ever, Behind Enemy oh. Lines, 
in the theaters after 9-11. That's right. Yes, with uh, uh, Luke Wilson. In one yeah, of it was his, horrible. And yet people clapped yeah, at the yeah, end well, because we just, you know, like wanted to see that victory. And so I think there's there's a certain amount of that afterwards. Um, but I think, you know, when it comes to when do you turn it off, you turn it off as soon as the news is no longer breaking or active. Like, if, if you have to turn it on because, you know, we all want to know what's going on in the world. I get that. But, like, if you have to turn on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or Headline News or whatever um, to get your news, that's cool. But once you've heard the news once, mm. turn it uh. off. And and in the case of breaking news, you know, obviously those can be very fluid situations. But, you know, in the case of, you know, what's going on in France right now, you know, this could go on for weeks as a, quote, fluid situation. But the bulk of the, you know, you know, anything can happen at any second is over. And so there becomes a time where you need to be able to like, I know all that I can need to know about this right now. I need to turn this off and go actually do something I enjoy, whatever that is. See, I think there is a need for um, war stories in a time of war. And I think actually probably our pop culture does a disservice to the public when it tries to ignore it uh, during a time of war. Um, but there is kind of interesting. I, I, I remember Sylvester Stallone, he came out with a, <clears throat> a fourth Rambo movie um, some years after 9-11. And somebody said to him, why? It, I think it took place somewhere in Southeast Asia, I want to say, uh, Burma or something like that. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked Stallone, "Wait a minute, you know why? Why not take on Islamists? Why not take on you know Al Qaeda?" And he said, you know, Sylvester Stallone is is you know relatively rightward or conservative for uh, uh, for Hollywood. He's been very mm-hmm. supportive of veterans' causes. He's very close to guys in the military. He's not you know would you, he's not he super political, but yeah. he's he does the right things. And he said, "I just feel like it, it would not be respectful of the guys who actually have the jobs of going out to get Bin Laden." To make a film about which Rambo goes to get Bin Laden right. uh, this is before Bin Laden was killed. And, and it kind of just seemed like an interesting uh, – I kind of wanted to salute his humility um, mm-hmm. and his sense of uh, the possibility that if you, do, if you make a – if somebody says, hey, I want to make a, a, a movie about U.S. forces taking on ISIS, um, it could be great. But if you don't handle it just right, it could be terrible um, and it could be seen as um, trivializing. It could be seen as kind of uh, – a, a somehow kind of like, well, why can't, the, why can't the real life guys just do that? You know, of making the work that they do look easy. Um, and he kind of recognized that Rambo, even though he's a soldier, kind of lives in this uh, super soldier, imaginary, you know, ideal uh, form for, for him. And he kind of Sylvester Stallone kind of recognized this was not something you could bring something that real into. Now, having said that, you know, if you constantly have war movies coming out during World War II, talking about how good the Americans are and how bad the Nazis are, well, you know, maybe there's there's a good reason for that, and it reassures us, and it tells us, hey, wait a minute, we are doing the right thing here. We are going to get through this, okay? I think I think there's a um... well. I think that I mean, obviously, we did a great deal of coverage on American Sniper when it first came out, and when I first saw it, and how moved I was by it. Um, and and that movie is still hugely uh, one of the top grossing movies of the year, and that was a true story, um, or you know, based on a true story, as true as Hollywood can get, um, and. People responded to it because I feel like not only did they want to see the movie, but I think there was a a desire to show the veterans that they were being appreciated. A hunger for heroism. 
and and a hunger right, a hunger to say look you know for whatever reason it feels like this aspect of our our national life got forgotten we're going to this movie to show we're not forgetting it and yes. people might argue whether going to a movie is the best way to do it but you know it was a clear gesture and it demonstrated that it was you know it resonated with people and oh by the way it was a really good movie with good performances and good direction by Clint Eastwood and yeah all that other stuff all of that was good it's just that it's very interesting like you said you know during a time of war and specifically in the time that we are right now um people are all are you know they're looking for heroes and um and certainly Chris Kyle was a hero um, in the next segment, we are going to be talking about a totally different kind of hero, um, but certainly one that is a real hero to our very own Jim Garrity. I'm Mickey White. You're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. This is Max Hedrum. And what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of television. We now return to our regularly scheduled program. Now, 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 back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we were just getting into a topic that, quite frankly, you would have to be living under a rock um, to have not known was happening or to have missed it the peanuts movie it's been talked about i was traumatized over halloween when the today show people dressed up as them um the characters weren't quite what they were supposed to look like and i i hope they didn't traumatize you too much jim because you're the real peanuts fan now we've discussed your let's let's not call it obsession let's call it a fandom (laughs) of of Peanuts and Charles Schultz and and so I understand you went and saw the movie. I did. I, I took the boys last weekend. Um, now I was going to say, say Mickey, you know two people um, who were looking at this movie with a combination of um, perhaps enthusiasm, but also a great deal of trepidation, uh, anxiety. He's like Jake Tapper is like, the other guy, and I haven't had a chance to uh, reach out to him and compare notes, but. Look, if you grew up with Peanuts comic strip and and maybe the animated series as well, there's a certain tone and style. And if this had been terrible, I I think it would have been Jake Tapper and myself with Molotov cocktails uh, going to Hollywood and burning the place down and saying, like, you, it's time to stop the remakes. It's time to stop the reboots. It's time to stop adopting beloved old iconic media properties and updating them for the modern day. Some things are perfect the way they are. Stop fucking with it. Uh, stop messing it up. Stop doing this, you know, and, and you know, it, leave our stuff alone. Um, and thankfully, we didn't need to do this. I, I was actually really impressed with how much um, reverence was to the, to the core material. Um, uh-huh. But to let now, you know, okay, me, here's my question. Like, I, I'm passionate enough about this to drop the F bomb. Like, to give that's, you know, that's this, fine. This, yeah. That's right. And your producer fine. needs to announce to the audience that because this is not broadcast on the open airwaves, there is no law against saying fuck. Just thought yeah. you'd like to know. There you go. Um, <laughs> so there you go. That's my producer for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to what I was about to ask you, um, which was as someone who was not as big of a fan, obviously you have always been interested in cartoons and cartooning as apparently Jake mm-hmm. Tapper as well, um, which I thought was fascinating that both of you, um, you know, aspired to be cartoonists. 
and both of you like worship Schultz and Peanuts. And we really should get Tapper on the show at some point to discuss this. You really need um, to emphasize the T in the word Peanuts, Mickey, because the way you say it is kind of head snapping if you're only paying half attention. <laughs> The Especially when you say Jim is worshiping it. The, the peanut <laughs> movie. My bad. So, okay, as someone who was not as into it as you, my question to you is, if I go in and watch this, will I enjoy it? Um, I think so, Mickey, although I'll point out, like, this is a... Whatever you thought of the pre- of peanuts previously, this is more of it. Uh, this is and and I think one of the things that I liked about it and that some folks may not like about it is how much it is unchanged. Um, and I went back and I looked. So this so they had a studio had had an idea for this and they went to the Schultz family. It was created by Charles M. Schultz who died in two thousand. Um, and they they you know pitched it. They didn't like it. Um, and it's, I, I'm just going to read to you from the Hollywood Reporter. One of the main issues of negotiation was about staying true to the time and place of Peanuts, which ran from 1950 to 2000. The Schultz family did not want the story modernized. The kids still use rotary telephones and Lucy's therapy fee continues to be only a nickel. And he quote, we were told that you have to have celebrity voices. You have to have hip hop music. You have to have this stuff to reach the new generation. And we kept saying, wait, if you say you have a good story with heart and emotion, people will love it. And I think that's been proven. I can't think of anything that would have been worse other than like uh, trying to modernize Peanuts. Like, so they, they kept in line with like the idea of the comic strip, the children. They're still oh, yes. kind of set in that same genre. There, We're not there are over- still no visible adults. This parent, when you do hear an adult, it's wah, 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 wah. Is, uh, is that the draw of Peanuts, that there are no adults? I, I'll say it is a – I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that my boys are into this and everything else that they're into is uh, superheroes, um, Transformers Rescue Bot. It's all big, fantastic stuff. Something apple tree, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the the you know the, peanuts is actually like uh, it's kids' lives about like from the point of view of kids. It's the three foot tall point of view. When the teacher walks up, all you oh. see is the teacher's knees. It's yeah. kind of like South Park, but In not. Little, <laughs> yeah, people had made that comparison, but the observation is that. Um, it's not. It's not always a happy comic strip, and in very much, you know, the reason the other, the kind of the, to the extent the movie has a plot, it's about Charlie Brown trying to not be a loser, uh, feeling like a loser, and trying all these new ways to be a winner at life. And of course, because he's Charlie Brown, nothing, you know, very few things work out the way he intends. That's way it, it speaks, I think, to a universal feeling. I mean, some people hide it better than others, but ultimately, there are a lot of people. I, I tried something really hard, and it just flopped. You know, right. Um, Whatever your life is, everybody has those moments. Uh, no matter, oh, how, absolutely. You know, and, and it speaks to that in a way that you know Garfield doesn't, right? I mean, that, that other you know on the comics page. Did you, you just to, rag on Garfield like yeah. right now? Yeah, I, and th- I used to love Garfield when I was growing up, and now I look at it, and it's like Jim Davis's you know uh, cheap gag factory. Um, there, there's a pathos to Peanuts. There, there's a philosophy to Peanuts that. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, I, I'm, you know. I think I know what Garrity's next book is going to be. The pathos. The pathos of peanuts. Emphasize the T, please. (laughs) Emphasize the T, or you might sell a whole lot more copies than you can imagine. (laughs) Dave, you're picking up on the the uh, not so subtle strategy behind the weed agency. Um, (laughs) The weed agency. Uh, (laughs) A book by Jim Garrity called the Weed Agency. Yeah, another book by Jim Garrity called Heavy Lifting, available now. 
Um, so again, this was a. I, 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 was, <laughs> I, I have a loud salute to everybody who made the decision to not modernize this. And I guess maybe like the, what's what what makes the movie you know such a wonderful standout is that no it, things don't always need to change. They don't always need to be updated. They don't always need to speak to modern sensibilities. I think there's you know you it's kind of like saying well the Mona Lisa looks really good but let's update it. You know, Michael. Well, I, I think there's a lesson to... to be learned there, and one important lesson is obviously, no matter what Dave and I say, you are not going to be derailed from this peanuts diatribe. No, so I, I appreciate and I mean this: um, your authenticity um, and commitment to it, because you're being your authentic peanut loving self, peanut yeah. loving self. Um, and so, like, do does everyone identify with a different character? Or it, does everybody is everybody Charlie Brown? Uh, different characters will will probably reflect different ways. Because while you have Charlie, I, I Brown, always felt that, like Lucy. Really, really, I would not have wouldn't have seen that. Yeah, ah, okay. Um, well, right, exactly. Like I, I was Lucy. It, like in watching it, I, I, I could understand her point of view quite clearly. Mm. Um, although, as you also know, I'm also kind of a lioness because of you know the whole blanky thing. Yes. So there's that, but I'm I, I always identified with Lucy. I'm Charlie Brown. I always mean well. Nothing ever works out. I was a round-headed little kid. The whole works. <laughs> Aw, thanks Aww. for the pathos. I'm picturing somehow like like a, a you know first grade era Dave somehow having a goatee. <laughs> with his firearms he goes from australia to the west bank all that came later charlie well, brown I, I was first like, Good old i always Burke. felt like lucy was kind of on the ball with the idea of like she started her own business obviously giving advice um mm-hmm. and, and i like the fact that she charged for it i, I felt like the, you know very entrepreneurial yeah. There, there was there's a great irony that on the one hand, while she's bossy and she's blunt and she, you know sometimes she can be cruel, like she does, she is driven to see all the characters. Like she sees everyone else as being um, lowly and pathetic and hapless and helpless. She wants to make them not hapless and helpless. She you know? wants to help. Like, Just like in she's her not own like about them. Yeah. way. She, she's she's not as cute and cuddly as the blonde one. What's her name? Oh, Sally. Yes. Yeah. Sally is kind of the. Uh, the female analog of this, and that you know, a little less, you know, poor me, and a little more like, uh, kind of more oblivious to things not working out for her. Um, by the way, like for you know, again, I can people have probably accurately sensing I could do the entire podcast about this, but there's been a fascinating discussion. Like, look, you do something for five decades, putting out a, one new comic strip pretty much every day for you know, literally, you know, a half a century. You're going to see some interesting changes in the style and the characterization and things like that. And almost always it mirrored things that were going on in Charles M. Schultz's life. Um, sometimes really exceptionally well. Like, for example, he was drawing Franklin, the, uh, the lone black or African-American kid in the, in the strip. And a bunch of southern newspapers said, we don't like that. And he said, if you don't like that, don't run it. But I'm not changing it. And you're, you know, and if you, if you, if you don't want to run it, fine. You're never running a never peanut strip again. Mm-hmm. And they backed down. And here he is, you know, kindly, genial, grandfatherly Charles M. Schultz is, you know, striking a body blow for the cause of, uh, uh, you know, treating people by. Uh, and, that, and that, and see, that's a fantastic story that should be in your next book about, obviously, peanuts and the I'll peanuts gang. However, um, I'll, I'll leave that one for Jake Tapper. I'd also like to remind um, our listeners that you also, after Mr. Schultz passed away, 
um, contacted his family yeah. because you felt that he had been um, well, the syndicate. Has I don't even know what to call what you felt had happened. Yeah, that was a the, the short version is the syndicate that uh, was re- even though he stopped making uh, comic book comics in, in 2000. Um, they were reprinting them. They called classic peanuts, and they just run ones from anywhere from the sixties, seventies, eighties, and through the nineties. And there was a reference to one about the uh, uh, Olympics taking place in Seoul, Korea, that had run in eighty-eight. Uh, that they ran in two thousand, and they changed it to Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. so that it appeared to be occurring in the in the current day. But editing. You know, that's if you're going to do that. I mean, like there there are references to Joe Schlobotnik. There are references to um, there there are tons of dated references in peanuts. And that once you start changing one, well, then you start saying, well, wait a second, you know, can we change that one? Should we change that one? Should we? There's a reference to prayer in school. You know, like there's all kinds of uh, stuff in there. And one, I, I got very antsy about the idea of altering the work of an artist decades later uh, without his permission. I'll bet that was an act. Mistake. I bet that was an act of a very young editor who doesn't realize what you are saying here. Yeah, I, I get. I get I, there's the you know journalistic integrity aspect of this, and I also just kind of think the artistic uh, aspect of this. Well, certainly I mean, the artistic picture, aspect you know. should be protected, and I I have to believe that his family appreciates mm. your commitment and admiration of of the man's life's work. Really, you know, they they really said uh, they wrote a very nice handwritten note of uh, saying thank you with the uh, restraining order. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> He where he worships what? What did he say he worships? Keep him away from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, so we will be turning to uh, an adventure in Mickey's life right after this. You from Paytel Records, twenty-two explosive hits, twenty-two original stars, gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Who the candy man can. Smith Barney. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> the one with the waggly tail. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. Last segment, we talked about Snoopy. This segment, we're turning to another dog and my co-host, Mickey. It sounds like you have begun the effort to add a four-legged friend to your household. Uh, What's going on with that? Yes. I have what I guess I would describe as puppy fever. I assume this is what other women feel when they want to have a baby. Um, I've never had that experience. Um, But I've had it for kittens before. And suddenly now I have it for a dog. And for several different reasons, I've been looking for a dog for the last several months and trying to find, you know, the right breed and the right, you know, everything, you know, size and, you know, something that's going to, I know I've got animals at home and so I've got to consider all of these things. So I, as a concerned, you know, pet owner, have given this a great deal of thought before going to the interwebs. <laughs> to start looking for my perfect puppy. And the first place I went was Craigslist. And Jim, did you ever have a puppy as a child? Um, not as a childhood years. In my later high school years, we inherited my uncle's dog. Okay, I'm so sad for you. But <laughs> Dave, did you have a dog as a child? I had lots of dogs up till about okay. uh, up till about the time I went to Belgium about 13 years ago. I haven't had one since because of too okay. often moving and traveling. 
okay, I understand that completely. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and send this to Dave, Jim, because your your childhood is messed up. We'll empty, talk about that. empty, and lacking. I know. I, it explains so many. Things. I had peanuts. I had peanuts. I had peanuts. Yeah, yeah. You better get that tea out too, Jim. Um, I had Charlie Brown and Snoopy. <laughs> he had a fake dog named Snoopy. Now um, I understand why Charles M. Schultz hated that name for the strip. Carry on. Uh huh. Anyway, so Dave, when you got your first puppy as a child, do you remember? Like, for me, it was you know I lived in in a rural area. Everybody knows this, but like it was like, hey, we're gonna go get a puppy. We'd show up someplace and there was like a box of puppies and you pick the one you want and you left with yeah, your puppy. I know some breeders who work that way, who raise litters and uh, give them away or sell them if they're, if they're uh, you know, meritorious examples These of a breed or breeders, that sort of though. thing. These were like just people whose dogs accidentally got knocked off. Right. I remember that. I don't think my first puppy was like that. My first puppy was a black poodle, which my father in a reflection of the times from which he came, lovingly called Spook. Wouldn't oh find any God. black dogs being called Spook in this day and age, but that was oh 50 years God. ago. <laughs> <laughs> and every other dog we got, I think, was kind of an accidental picking up of a puppy, either uh, off the street or from somebody who had a litter, as you say. I don't think we ever went and picked out a puppy from someone's litter in a box. No. Yes. Yeah, so, well, see, that was how it operated for us, I guess, in the country where, like, again, to have a registered dog where I grew up was considered very um, too much. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a dog. If you wanted, like, it was allowed if you wanted, like, a collie or something. This was before um, the Dog Control Act of, uh, I think it was 19, 1993. Uh, yeah, like it was before everybody had to have like, a designer dog. <laughs> yes. The and assault dog span. Uh, assault dogs. dogs were still just pets. <laughs> My um, black poodle was an assault dog. They have whole stores dog. dedicated to them and sell more in retail clothing than they do for children. No, this was back when you just wanted a puppy, a dog. <laughs> and... My first puppy was a puppy that I picked out of a litter. Um, he was brown, and he had these dark markings, and he was just so furry and cute and just about 12 weeks old. Did you pick the runt? Most him. most people like you, big-hearted people, pick the runt. I always pick the runt. Right. Um, and I pick him up, and I love him, and I, my parents say to me, what are you going to call him? And I said, Fluffy, because, you know, I'm a child. I was, I was probably five, <laughs> six years old at this point. And um, I'm going to call him Fluffy. So imagine everyone's surprise like a year later when everyone's calling my now obviously mixed German shepherd um, (laughs) Fluffy. Named after a Nazi prison guard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so it was, you know, that was my first experience with the dog. Like, I had no idea what kind of dog I was getting at all. Um, And, and, you know, we took it home. Obviously, I named it Fluffy. It turned into a, 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 like I said, obviously a breed of some kind of German Shepherd, which amused every adult I knew. And I never really fully got it till I got older. (laughs) Like, what's what's wrong with the dog's name? Nobody ever said it to you when you were a kid, huh? Right, like no one, no one. They just kind of caught each other's eyes with grins on their faces. Exactly. (laughs) Well, so, you know, the dog thing, I've had dogs my, I had dogs growing up, up until I moved out, went into college and whatnot, and I moved into being a cat person. But I've never not been a dog person also. So Mm -hmm. I decided to go on this puppy hunt. Um, It's a nightmare out there. 
Um, I'm starting to understand why people are always bragging about like all the rescue dogs that they have. It's because they're so freaking expensive. <laughs> and it's because you have to fill out like pages and pages and pages of documentation. And also, in some cases, they want to come visit your house. A rescue dog really? is like the upper middle class version of Angelina yeah. Jolie's adopted children. It's kind of like bling. Yeah. I'm like home oh visitation. My- this is, you know, what, what is this? A, a yuppie preschool? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I thought you said this dog needed a home. If you watch uh, if you watch the but Pitbulls and Pitbulls right. and parolees show, you'll see the uh, the parolees working with the rescue Pitbulls always go and visit and get to know the people before they let the dog live with them. Well, if it's a pit bull, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm talking about like, first of all, my 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 dream puppy is um, something smaller than 20 pounds. And, and I've actually found something and you're going to love the name of it. A cockapin. Never heard of it that is, one. A, a cockapin is a miniature pincher and a cocker spaniel mix. You could get a you Sharpay and use it for a purse. I, I see. I, I don't like the Sharpays. However, I've seen, you know, certain mixes again that I like and I'm fine with that. However, in my day, those would have been called mutts. Now they're called designer dogs and they also cost upwards of $600. Good grief. And I'm like, again, these are from quote shelters. And you're wondering again, this is why the dogs end up being old. In these shelters is because obviously when they were young, they made it impossible to adopt them. You know, and you're, go ahead. Just, you're, you're pointing a, a, a kind of a rather grim portrait here and pointing out one like on the one hand, you're right. This is you know, like these the added we, we always get Sarah McLaughlin and the, these really pathetic looking animals. You, and, you know, nailed it. You she's absolutely singing nailed the, it. in the arms of the angels and you just burst <laughs> into tears before you could change a channel because it's the saddest thing you've ever seen. And you and do change the channel. <laughs> yeah, you 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 go to ply, you go you go to you say, and then well, these you know, these adorable animals need a loving home, but oh. maybe not your home. Yeah, you might quite not be good enough for our dogs. I'm just letting you know. It's pretty much the idea, and I will tell you, Jim Garrity, you nailed it because all I could think, and also also cuss and scream and yell at Mr. Bias, God bless him, um, <laughs> was that that I was sick of seeing these animals on my TV. And I don't want to hear any more, nothing about them needing homes, nothing about, oh, don't you care? You suck. You blah, blah. None yes, of that shit. Know, unless you have a dog on your lap at that very second, you are a cruel and uncaring yeah, person. I was like, I am done with these people. I was like, because we actually, like, at one point, because I liked a dog so much that I found online, I filled out the 15-page application and agreed to a home visit. Including you know all ten fingerprints. This this dog, by the way, was a complete and total mutt. Was going to cost me a couple hundred dollars from a quote rescue operation. Filled out the application, sent it to them, and do you know what they told me? What did they say, Mickey? Oh, I'm sorry. That dog was already adopted. <laughs> He was adopted while you were filling out page six. Exactly. (laughs) So do they keep all the paperwork on file or do you have to fill it out new every time you want you to see a dog you might want to get? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not doing this anymore. I've already decided and this is where I'm going to get the hate mail and everyone just send it on. in. (laughs) I went to in, in desperation after absolute frustration, went to what Mr. Bias is now referring to as dog prison. 
um, which was the actual shelter Dogmo? shelter. Yeah, exactly. Like it was the actual shelter shelter, like the the humane society, like shelter shelter, you know, animal control thing, not the froofy rescue dog people. And you walk through the doors of there, it's like it's like checking into like max security because you're right. I mean, while pit bulls are a fabulous breed, unfortunately, they're also a very heavily abused breed. And the place was full of, you know, pit bulls and boxers. I mean, you don't find collies in the shelter shelter. Um, yeah. you, you might find like a chihuahua on occasion or a beagle. Yeah, you got to be kind of committed. Shelter, like you've got dogs in there with real issues. You've got to be committed. And, you know, and, and, and it, it's really fascinating to me because just this week, a man adopted a Rottweiler puppy. So I know he, the process he must have gone through. He finally brought him home, and he ate him that day and killed him. Oh, swear the, to God. The Rottweiler oh. ate the man? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. I thought you were saying the other way around. Oh, no, the other way. No, no, no. The Rottweiler attacked <laughs> him and killed him. Yeah. Dave, I, I kind of think it's bad either way. Yeah, gonna... me too. <laughs> no, but I'm like, but again, here's me having gone through the experience that I've gone through, and you know how much paperwork he filled out to get that damn dog. My like advice: you, They're checking you out, right? Get a dachshund. You can only lose like an arm with a dog that you have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> so guess what? Again, here's where the hate mail comes. I'm going to go to a breeder, and I'm going to get the dog I want. And you know what? When I pay them money, they'll give me my dog. And you know what? That dog will have been born whether I paid for it or not. So I am rescuing it from the breeder. You know, Mickey, there. I, I, I wish you luck in your quest. I, I will point out, I think a lot of this stems, you, you describe the lots of paperwork, extremely long days, long wait for a response. I, I blame a lot of this on um, uh, Dogacare. Uh, passed by the administration a few years ago. It was supposed to streamline all this. They Not a single Republican voted for that, by the way. Electronic <laughs> dog records, but uh, no, it's not working out as they <laughs> I, I think, what's his name? Gruber said we were, you know, the American and hippies. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, on that, you know, this, this, now that this podcast has gone to the dogs, <laughs> uh, Dave, why don't you play us out with some Sarah McLaughlin? <laughs> I'll I'll change the channel. I warn you. I swear to God, those people. All I wanted to do was bring home a puppy. So I am still on the great puppy search, and uh, I'll keep you guys updated with it. Oh no, there it is again. Where's the Wait, oh, change the channel. Click. When it comes to the music of the '90s, anything goes. Living in the 90s. Two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out. You'll be amazed at who you'll find on Living in the 90s. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White, your host, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And uh, some breaking news um, that... It has kind of taken place over this week, and uh, certainly after some swirling rumors, there had been rumors about a Hollywood playboy out there that was HIV positive, and uh, and announced on uh, Monday that it was Charlie Sheen. He actually appeared on the Today Show with Matt Lauer to announce that he has had the disease for 
you know, a sp- unspecific number of years um, and as in, in treatment. And, um, you know, it's been really interesting to me anyway, watching people's reaction to this announcement of, you know, the initial, both the rumors leading up to it, the guesses that were made, his announcement, uh, he talks about being blackmailed, several other things. But, Jim, you, you seem to have a different approach to this. Well, look, I mean, obviously, look, we, we've been watching the, the highest of high-profile train wrecks uh, of Charlie Sheen for about a year. Winning. Uh, kind of. I'm sorry? Winning. Uh, winning, Tiger Blood, <laughs> uh, Vatican Warlock. I mean, he kind of invented his own language of, of you know, loony, overconfident. Uh, you know, before Donald Trump was running for president, there was Charlie Sheen running for winner of everything. And um, But I'm going to throw out a name at you, Mickey, and I'm going to see how much you remember of this person and whether you think this person is an appropriate comparison to Charlie Sheen. You ready, Mickey? Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman. Cue and- crickets here. Andy uh, Kaufman. Dave, are you remembering? Wait, Andy Yes, Kaufman. I remember That's Andy from... Kaufman very well. Thank you. Uh, uh, look, look, guys. First of all, mm, before you mock me, is this the guy that Jim Carrey played and then Jim Carrey went insane? Yes, very okay. good. Yeah, he ah. was a character yeah. on Taxi. He was an immigrant, yes. an Albanian or something, and he had this odd high-voiced accent. Okay, so wait. Correct. All right. Uh, now you're making my head hurt. Saturday Night Live, uh, the 70s. It was kind of this like he was a, a wild, crazy, unpredictable comedian uh, died in 1984 and died very quickly. And he was such a, a kind of a wacky nut job. Didn't he die that, from uh, getting dropped on his head in the showbiz wrestling match or something? Uh, there's all kinds of theories about yeah. whether, he, whether he was one of the first cases of AIDS and, and things like that. Ah, I didn't realize is, that was in the mix. But of course, during the 80s, that's always in the mix when mm-hmm. it's like mysterious. A, a rumor that he had consistent rumors actually that he'd faked his death and that someday he's going to pop out. He was full of you know he liked to uh, do wrestling routines with women and and so here's the thing he was always this wild and crazy guy. I mean really wild, really crazy. You got to watch him. You can't you know tell what the, you never know what's going to happen with him. His appearances on David Letterman, you know he broke into fights and and doing nutty things. And after a while, somebody said, well wait a second, you know we all remember him as this lovable, unbelievably wacky comedian. What if he was mentally ill? Right. What if, what if this all wasn't oh a part of the act and he was doing these crazy? What if he really was crazy? And, and all of us are sitting there laughing in hilarity uh, at somebody who's not really in control and not in on the joke at all. In other words, is actually struggling with very serious issues of of psychological stability. And we're all kind of you know because we've appointed them the role of court jester in society, we're going to laugh at them. Charlie Sheen has got all kinds of serious problems, and I don't know if that stems from fame. I don't know if that stems from uh, Emilio Estevez doesn't seem to have the same problem. No, nah, you know he's got all those ducks to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> all um, those movies not thing. to make. I mean, like, I, I don't mean to downplay the fact that he has HIV and is HIV positive, um, but it is important to denote the difference between being HIV positive and being full blown AIDS. Um, he's obviously been under care. He uh, claims to be taking um, precautions with women, which you know is going to be challenged, and you know there's going to be lawsuit after lawsuit, regardless of you know who's telling the truth here. Um, I guess the tests will tell the tale. Um, but to me, again, I never got Andy Kaufman, so I don't get the comparison at all. Um, I always thought he was kind of maybe he, maybe actually the explanation of him being insane makes more sense than why people thought he was funny. I have no idea why people thought he was funny. Um, and then when Jim Carrey did that horrible movie about it, 
I was even more convinced that I didn't get it. And so, yeah, it, well, because then remember, Jim Carrey kind of lost his mind for a while after playing him because he got mm. like so deep into the role, um, as you know, they tend to do. Um, but the thing with Charlie Sheen for me is, you know, this is the guy that for girls my age, you know, we at one time there wasn't anybody that didn't, you know, have a thing for Charlie Sheen. He's always mm-hmm. kind of been the bad boy, but you liked him anyway. My God, you know, like he he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, Major League. That's right. And he played the exact bad boy you're talking about. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, at a very formative age, we'll say, uh, Charlie Sheen had a, you know, very uh, created a very what we call sexual response. Uh, in me and I'm sure lots of other girls, you know, uh, young girls and whatnot. And, you know, over the years, he's done some really crazy things. But I think everybody kind of did the like, oh, well, he's just Charlie and that's just how he is. However, suddenly I'm like, how many lives did he put in danger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my tone changes because it's not brave to come out that you have HIV because you've been being blackmailed and literally paying off people and blackmailed by his own admission up to $10 million um, in blackmail to keep this secret for at least three to four years, um, yet continue to, you know, obviously film, date, have sex with people. You know, it's, it's just extremely irresponsible, in my opinion. And... The idea that suddenly, you know, everyone's supporting like, oh, you know, Charlie and some people say, you know, well, everybody in his life knew that. And if that's the case, great. But if he caused even one woman um, to get, you know, HIV and then AIDS because they didn't have the money to get the drugs to keep it from turning into full-blown AIDS and died, then he needs to be treated like the criminal he is. You know, the one porn star that dated him for a good long time, up to about three years ago, says she's confident that he didn't have it when he was with her. But then at the end of that interview, she says, if I ever find out he knew he had it and he was still having sex with me, I'm going to be very angry. Lawsuit angry, I'm sure, is what that means. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lawsuit angry. And you know, there's, but the thing is, like, he's, you know, again, as to how he got it, any possible way because the man, you know, he's obviously he's had a drug problem. He sleeps with prostitutes like Including. on the regular. Like he is the openest person. Like he was the first person. He testified on behalf of Heidi Fleiss. <laughs> like the last, you know, like yeah. we should not be shocked by this at all. And of course, like I said, mm. thank God for, you know, big pharma that everybody hates because now he'll live till he's 105 anyway. It doesn't matter. But. It's one of those things where because he has the money to pay for the drugs, it's one thing in his life. It's a completely different other thing if he hooks up with some prostitute or with some porn star who doesn't have the money and doesn't have the ability to get the treatment or doesn't even know to get tested because, you know, who would think because you slept with Charlie Sheen that he had AIDS? Yeah, I mean, it's not like anybody. And I apologize, HIV positive, not AIDS. As soon as they said a Hollywood playboy is HIV positive. You know, I'm sure there were other names that floated around the the rumor mill, but I'm wasn't gonna, like I'm, you know, I'm going to say, let you know that one of my dear friends, Amy, um, is still convinced that Clooney is the guy, regardless, <laughs> and that it was all a cover. Sheen is yeah. running interference for yeah, George Sheen Clooney. Is well, Clooney's wife is leaving him, right? I mean, that's enough proof oh, for anybody, right there. Really? I'd like the lawyers for the Clooney family to uh, refer this to Dave Perkins <laughs> and Mickey White. Um, wait, 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 wait. 
wait. So is is Mrs. Clooney unsatisfied being the wife of an actor? We are not quite <laughs> sure why she's unsatisfied. <laughs> It'll all come out in court. I'm sure it will. Everything else does. <laughs> so, but so what? Like, does do you not agree, Jim, or, or are we adults and we take responsibility for our actions? Well, okay, here's the thing. So if he is, so we think back to Charlie Sheen. Like, he, yes, he's always had this bad boy image. He's always had this Hollywood playboy image. But nobody was saying in the, uh, let's say, you know, apparently, so he was, he was uh, Wild Thing Vaughn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or Topper Harley. Ricky you know, Vaughn, yeah. Topper you know. Harley, yes. Great one. So any of those roles, um, Wall Street, he wasn't seen as a nut job. No. Right? no nobody thought it was crazy. So at some point between then and now, he became uh, those were roles. But when you would see like his behavior off screen, he had lots of he was in that pack. I thought when you were going to like compare him to someone, mm-hmm. I honestly thought you were going to go with Robert Downey Jr. Because talk about uh, taking two okay. different paths. Yeah. I mean, he you know, because they were kind of both in the same right. spot in the early 90s. And obviously, mm-hmm. eventually, yeah, uh, Iron Man got his stuff together, we'll say. And yeah. And the other went the other path. You know, the other thing I'll observe, you know, a, a pop culture offering, you and I have not talked about at length on this program, is Two and a Half Men, um, who I'm looking up and found. Charlie Sheen did 179 episodes of Two and a Half Men, and I'm sure he was exceptionally well paid for, for that. Uh, it was for a long time like the number one comedy on television, even though the fact I don't think I've ever met anybody who ever thought it was funny. Right. Um, so imagine churning out what you think to be crap. For like more than a decade, <laughs> and yet you're paid extremely well for it, and everybody says it's terrific, right? I mean, that's got to be kind of soul-consuming to begin with. So maybe that's what you know caused his slide into um, sounds like serious uh, uh, reckless behavior, addiction. Uh, Dude, and, and, yeah. The Heidi Fleiss thing was long before Two and a Half Men. So was he always this way? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. He is some kind of like he's probably like some kind of I'm sure he's like addicted to everything in the world. Although the winning and crazy scenes uh, yelling from the tops of buildings and all that, that is contemporaneous with the time he is said to have discovered that he was HIV positive, I think. Correct. He may have been pushed to the next level of craziness by learning Correct. that. Correct. Yeah, it seems like that was all falling in line with about the same time because that was one of the questions was, was this of when that whole tiger's blood thing came out? And he was kind of like, I'm a little blurry about that time in my life. You got tiger blood probably was like some sort of like code phrase he had in his mind, or the name for some exotic East Indian AIDS treatment. Yes, or the (laughs) fact that he felt like he was invincible because you know this wasn't going to get him whatever kind of thing. Who the hell knows? But I just found it really interesting that everyone was like, "Oh, Charlie, it's so brave," you know, and like. (laughs) <laughs> Again, I, I cannot get past the fact that it would have been brave if he did it when he found out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's not brave to do it because you've been paying off blackmailers for so long that you finally ran out of money. If, if at some point you find yourself tweeting, Charlie Sheen, you're a role model. Um, delete your account. That takes all the pressure off Charles Barkley, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lawyers for Mr. Barkley can direct that to Mr. Dave Perkins. <laughs> we'll be getting hate letters from everyone this week. Um, and uh, 
coming up, we're going to wrap up. Got some things, uh, some housekeeping and some other things that uh, Jim and I want to tell you are upcoming in the uh, new year. And we have to announce the winner of the signed copy of Heavy Lifting as well. So stay tuned. I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity, and you are listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Player. Player. Balls of Fury. Welcome back to The Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we are almost at the end of our program. But Mickey, you've got some uh, good news to share for one of our listeners. I do. Um, I had asked you guys a few weeks ago to send us pictures um, from Halloween. And thank you so much to everyone who did uh, both sending us via email and on our Facebook page um, and obviously hitting us up on Twitter as well. It was fantastic. And we have selected a winner. It was hard. Um, but the winner will receive a signed copy of Heavy Lifting. And, uh, and Jim, do you want to go ahead and make that announcement? Sure. Our winner is Nick Lavacek. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Nick in NC. Um, a adorable picture of him holding his uh, twin daughters there. And uh, I'm going to be reaching out to him, trying to get his mailing address and send him a signed copy of Heavy Lifting. So, Nick, thank you for uh, uh, listening to the show and, and responding to our contest. And it uh, looks like he's uh, embracing the, the joys of fatherhood right then and there. Right, right. I- Absolutely. And his wonder twins are just too adorable. Uh, you can find them actually. The picture, the winning picture that he submitted is in the Jim and Mickey timeline on Twitter. It's at Jim and Mickey. Uh, if you'd like to see the winning entry, um, I don't want to post it all over simply because it is his children. Um, but uh, congratulations to him and congratulations to our very own Jim Garrity. He is being awarded the honored and, and really coveted. Buckley Award on a very special um, day. This wow. specific day that we're recording is the 60th anniversary of National Review, where Jim also works. And uh, so it's been quite a year for you, Jim, and congratulations. Well, thank you, Mickey. Um, I, you know, it, it's a strange, it's strange to have lots of these good awards. I think what's really special about this one, um, it's, it's like the it, it's the fifth or sixth years uh, that they've given this. Uh, lots of good folks have gotten it. But let me tell you, to be saluted as a young conservative, um, that, makes get, that makes turning 40 really easy. <laughs> right. You don't have much longer. Uh, a lot of standards. I, you know, I, I'm not so young. But uh, right after the show, I have to go color my hair. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start dyeing your hair now. I see this coming. Suddenly he's like, you know, he, he becomes one of those um, crazy crossfitters out of nowhere. Like, yeah, uh, Totally. Let's go. But congratulations. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, I can only think that, you know, one thing has really changed in the last year. And, of course, that's me and Dave being <laughs> in your life. And so, obviously, we're responsible for your, you know, rising good star. Luck star it Pressure <laughs> makes diamonds. Pressure makes diamonds. There you go. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so congratulations on that. As you guys know, um, I've been doing some random guest appearances on TMZ Live, which is yes. awesome. So I'm keep an eye out for me. Reaching out beyond and listen, you know, reaching an audience that uh, most folks aren't able to reach. You, you know, yes, and no- specifically nothing- um, the you know roommate who slept with my boyfriend in college. So bam, yay! We're gonna have to do a whole <laughs> show on that. 
Yeah. Like, so, you know, but yeah, no, there's, you know, again, there's some really, it's really great to have an opportunity to reach out to an entirely different audience that I would not have had the opportunity. So I'm excited about working more with TMZ Live and some other um, opportunities that are coming down the way. But we're going to have some big changes coming in um, in 2016. And, and I think that the listeners are going to really enjoy it. Don't you, Jim? I think so. I think the things that we've got planned for you guys, you're going to really enjoy. We've had um, a great time. Oh, my God, the hour's up already. I'm getting the message from Dave to rap, rap, rap. So I will. Um, I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. You've been listening to the Jim and Mickey Show. You can find us always at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. You can find us on iTunes, Spreaker, <clears throat> as well as Roku. And don't forget to check us out on our Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. Um, look forward to hearing from you, and we'll be back here next week. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. As many times as we've loved and we've shared love and made love. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. It's just not enough. It's just not enough.
didn't take all of my life to find you. But you can believe it's going to take the rest of my life.